Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley. Today's guest is motorcycle technician, rider, sort of one of those people in the industry that's done every sort of facet of it. Charlie Costanzo, welcome, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Who, who is Charlie Costanzo? <laughs> Good question. Um, I don't know. Just uh, uh, somebody that's obviously passionate about the sport, been in it for a long time now, even though I threaten it a lot to get out of it. Yep. Um, definitely a lot of ups and downs in the sport. But just a guy, you know, I grew up in a small country town in Murderford where you know, um, in a local bike shop there and, you know, without much support, worked my way up to um, probably Geico Power Sports was probably the highest as far as mechanic goes and then, you know, had some great opportunities over there to stay. And, wow. Um, yeah, then had opportunities when I come back with... Uh, with ADB and had a lot of things going on in my career and now I run my own little shop down here at, uh, on the Gold Coast. It's pretty, um, to come from, you know, country Victoria to Geico Honda, which is probably one of the most formidable, or was, formidable teams in the USA, it's a long, it's a long journey, hey? Yeah, yeah, they say a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but unless you've um, done it, you know, and depends on where you've done it from, I guess. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a tough... Uh, it was a tough trail to get there, um, a lot of hard yards and some luck, you know, knowing some people and, you know, being, being good at what I did and just, just all the things in place. Where in the time, at the time, I guess you never sort of understand why things happen in your life. It still happens today. Mm. But when you get a few years down the track, you can look back and sort of go, yeah, um, you can understand why things happen. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Once you, When you're in it, you don't... I think we mentioned that before. Like when you're in it, um, you don't realise what's happening. You know? No. You're just no. living it, I guess, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So you're just trying the best with what you got at the time. So that's why now I try, you know, I you see all the things how you failed and the mistakes that you made and you try to help out, well, I try to help out as many as young guys I can with my experience, you know. It's uh, a big part of the sport, isn't it? You know, if you're not supporting the younger ones coming through. Then it's dead. Yep, it's gone. Yeah. And it happens too often, you know. So it's it's... One of those things we need to obviously continue with, eh? Yeah, for sure. If you're not helping out, bringing through the the youth, that's where um, you know companies like KDM were very smart. It's it's like looking at a footy supporter that'll be a Colton supporter his whole life until he drops dead. Yep. Um, KDM already worked out that a long time ago, so they pick up the kids when they're on fifties and sixty fives. Yeah. And then the chances of that guy being a KDM guy, you know, for the rest of it's his a life, lifer, isn't it? are really high. Yep. You know compared to a, you know, somebody else. That some, some of the other manufacturers have got a massive gap. You can't get on a bike until it's a 250F now. Yeah. As far as motocross goes, so. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a good point, eh? It's like, obviously, KDM 50, you can start at, or mm. EE5 now for a Husqvarna or whatever. Yeah. You can start off really young and carry all the way through to right up to a pro motocross home. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then now road and everything, that got, got everything under the banner home. Yeah, yeah, it's smart marketing. And that's the thing, I worked for KDM, like the dealership I worked for was yep. um, John Hill Motorcycles in Murderford. Okay. Uh, worked for him for 13 years and that was um, extremely tough boss to work for. Um, used to be brutal uh, wow. during work hours and we could never work out why and me and my mate um, Cleno that runs MMG down in Murderford now, uh, he was like my best, one of my best um, apprentices. Uh, we couldn't work out at the time why he was like he was at work versus out of work he was unreal mm. and um, it's just the pressure of business 
Yeah. We never knew it. We could never understand it. Now that we're both in business ourselves, we understand. So it's funny we've got a whole new respect for the guy um, yeah. after it's all. Like you said, like I was saying before, you don't realise when you're in it. Yeah. You've got to take a few steps past before you can look back with a bit of experience and go, ah, oh, that's why it was. That's huge, eh? It's, uh, yeah, when you're, when you're in your own own business or anyone's business I guess when you're working for them it's it's non-stop eh you just see you see the people once you once you've taken a step back yeah oh yeah for sure for sure but um you know talking about how KDM changed um back in those early days like nobody wanted to know the things wow um in the 90s you know you had guys like Frank Bonfadini and those guys ambassadors on there from uh, Victoria and Frank's a lovely guy as well very very successful racer um but yeah, Cato just clicked in '98, I guess. Yeah. And when they released that new bike, stuck Watsy on it, we, we could ride anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, punished everybody worldwide, and then they've just been going leaps and bounds from there. It, and you know, I, I always remember back in that sort of era, the ADB articles with Watsy and that as well. You know, you just see it, and you see that bike as a younger person growing up. It's like, wow, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool unit. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It, it changed a- things. It was a cool time. Mm. I, I don't know. It's a definitely a cool era. And all of us talk about different eras. You know, some people, I think the 80s would have been really cool. Yep. Um, all, the bikes were unreal by the mid-80s, um, especially the works bikes and stuff, which is the work of art. Um, the riders were going at it. There was It was a cool era, you know, and every year you got something cool. You got a rear disc brake or you got liquid yep. core. It was going really good. And then you talk to the guys in the 90s. Yeah, they're all excited about the, the 90s. It was a really cool era, which I believe it, it was. Mm. Um, each, each you know, decade has, has got a special, I don't know, special riders that come out. You know, we're, we're blessed, I guess, that we're at our age that we got to see guys like Carmichael, Stuart, um, Reid. Yeah. You know, it will, I don't know if you'll ever see that again. Yeah, um, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because, yeah, that, that was... You know, there's been multiple golden eras, but really the battles between those three. Yeah, and that's that's this era. That's this you know? one. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's cool. Who knows what the next era will break, you know, bring? You know, it's uh, kind of exciting. Does development of bikes? Uh, now you're very technical with this. Does development of bikes keep rising, or does it? Is it? Does it get to a point where you go, okay, we're we're at a stop? That's an awesome question because a guy will come in with his chest puffed out and say, I bought a brand new YZ250. Mm-hmm. Do you realise when that engine got released and that YZ250 was 1999? Right. That frame and everything else around it, apart from some of the plastic, was released in 2005. It's a 20-year-old motorcycle, give or take. Mm. Still making them the same, the same die, pumping them out, yeah. you know. So technology like that, two-stroke, two we spoke to, I mean, Ross talked about this the other day, two-stroke um, technology, he says he believes it peaked in the late 80s uh, because Honda already had the bore and stroke and everything sorted. Those engines, I mean, I still ride a lot of that VMAX stuff now yep. and they're good, they're competitive, those things. I still ride an 01KX 250 now and people can't believe it. Wow. Um, I just enjoy them, you know, I don't know, I'm probably weird, but... Um, the electronics is getting better their bikes are more refined they're trying a few things but really if you're a good enough rider because motocross is kind of a weird sport it's a lot about the rider um there was a kid known a few years ago that won loretta's on a 85 i think it was cr250 against all the modern bikes 
you know, if you were set to say to somebody that was that was possible, you'd call him a liar. You would. But he brained him in the, I think it was the B, um, B expert class or whatever it was. It's yeah. incredible. Eh? I, I watched some footage of that, that young guy. He was on a film, one of my friend's films it made, I think, and the bike and everything just looked, Looked unreal, hey. Yeah. It was a good package. Yeah. But um, who would have thought that that had happened? Oh, you, you would have said, like I said, you're a liar if you yeah. had said it. So the, all bikes now, like a lot of the technology is has been the same now for a long time. Two-stroke stuff sort of like done and dusted. Cato and those companies have – I was speaking to Ty from Zipfix the other day about it. Um, Suzuki, so he's got like an early 90s um, Suzuki's. They had an external power valve adjuster, things like that back then. Yep. Um, yeah, back in those days, we didn't ever know about that stuff. It was just something that was there and you rode. That was it. Yep. You just rode the bike, stuck your numbers on, did your thing. <laughs> but um, uh, like KDM's got those adjustments and everything now. Like I said, it's, it, they've got all these pretty cool things as a standard package. Mm. Um, you know, they've got, a, they've got a good – so those guys are still trying. Like the other companies, as you know, Honda bailed, yep. Cowie bailed, um, Suzuki bailed. Do you think it could come back in, in any no. way? Like it's just gone, eh? No. Yeah. Without the Japanese manufacturers. Emissions support. and everything will squash it. Yeah. That's why California is one of the biggest markets, bike markets in the world. Yeah. And once they squash it, that's it. Mm. The rest of the world doesn't sort of care. Because what's that thing that's getting around at the moment about 2030, I think it is, for California? They want yeah, all no. gasoline-powered vehicles gone. Yeah, yeah. Like recent new sales or whatever gone, you know, so... Yeah, it's huge. Oh, that will be huge. Mm. Yeah. What's the um? Where did it all start for you? Were you were you a bike then as a kid? Oh, good question. Um, at school, I was drawing motorbikes. That Just was, that's what I was doing from the start. I wasn't concentrating on what was going on. I didn't really want to be there, like most kids. Yep. And I was drawing dirt bikes all day. Wow. And if in the art class, I was drawing <laughs> dirt bikes. Um, I look at some of my old school books. I come across them every now and yeah. then when I'm cleaning through the house, and you just go, "What a <laughs> horrible child I must have been." <laughs> but it's I was just, just one focus. Yeah. yeah. So I come from a, like a really poor family, abusive, and all the rest of it. That's a horror story within itself. Um, and my first bike was a, a Yamaha 1977 DT100 when mm. I was seven. Um, you know, I got the suspension from the local rubbish dump and spliced her in there with some fittings from a plumbing shop and wow. used to build around the farm on that thing. Um, and then uh, I just remember uh, I was working before school at a laundromat. I was working after school for uh, Gary Green Motors in Murderford, just fixing cars and doing yep. servicing and sweeping the floors and doing emptying the bins, did, did what I have to do to get some money together because there was no other choice. Um, and then uh, my grandfather passed away at the time and left me a little bit of money and the first thing I wanted to do was get a dirt bike and that was my that was my help to get something more modern. Mm -hmm. And um, I jumped on a KX250 and nearly killed myself. What a jump. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was my first new bike. So from a DT, I went to a 83 KX250, which I've actually still got the very same bike. I really? found it years and years later. Yeah, I've got them in my, in my collection. Um, and then, uh, you know, swapped some stuff and whatever back in the day. And then, uh, yeah, got this KX250, which was the total wrong choice of motorcycle. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, just uh, I remember going into the local bike shop and just begging them for work. I said, I'll just work for you for nothing. I don't care. 
yeah. and they gave me a bit of a break and um, a chance and I just went at it, you know. So you always had a good work ethic? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. It's probably something about the childhood thing or whatever. You get bashed to death enough. You, you're a different kind of a person. But I still work super hard, just super hard. Anybody that knows me will, will back that up. Um, it's always been who I am. Yep. And I think that's a... Um, Something I'm going to talk to a couple of young blokes about this week, actually, about some bad shit that happens in your childhood. Um, but when you look, it, when you're in it, it's why me. Mm. When you get down the path, it's why not me. Um, but it actually makes you stronger. It makes you into, a, into actually who you are, and the successes that you have actually come from the the trauma that was um, did, did in my case anyway. Yeah. It helped help mould your character. Yeah, it makes you yep. try harder than anybody else would sanely do. I mean, in the races, you know, back when I was uh, working for Kawasaki, so I went from the bike shop thing and then I was sort of reasonably successful as a racer. You know, I won an Australian motocross um, amateur championship and then I was an off-road rider more. We didn't have motocross tracks, so I just used to do motocross because it was cool. Yeah. Um, all the kids want to do motocross, <laughs> but I was just riding in the bush all day, every day on my bikes. And then um, a friend back then got me to do an enduro and I did – I think I raced in the expert class and got third, my first enduro. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was cool. Wow. And then, um, yeah, started doing okay. And I've ended up, uh, I think I got second in the, the 99 four-day in the 200 class. I got third in 01. Uh, so I sort of had some sort of success, yeah. you know, on a reasonable level. Where were they at the four-days for those two years? Warrigal was 99, which yeah. was brutal. Really? And still people till today talk about that was the toughest four-day um, since then they've turned them into trail rides because people didn't want to do the hard stuff anymore. Yeah, that was that was a hard one. I nearly pulled out. It was it was tough. Um, Stewie Bennett beat me on that one. Um, it's a name I haven't heard for a fair few years. Yeah, another good guy. Mm. Yeah, very talented guy on a bike. Could ride like anything, motard, motocross. Yeah. yeah, I remember him coming through the KDM factory supermoto. Yep. He was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Post, post enduro career, obviously. Yeah, tough guy. He was a tough guy to beat. He beat me day one and two. I beat him day three and they're coming down to the fire to moto and I just blew it. I blew right. the start. That's a funny story within itself. You know, what were you on? KDM 200. Yeah, nice. Yeah, stock 200 EXE. I remember I was trying to pump myself up and be confident and they, they just nailed down the start gate there in the grass paddock. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I am a motocross guy. I was always known as a motocross guy in the off-road scene. Yep. So I'm like, I've got this, on the I've racer. got this. Yep. I remember the gate dropped and I just spun and spun and the whole field just disappeared. And I thought, like, oh, God, I went into the first turn dead last and I rode back to um, – Stewie got the whole shot and I rode back to second in the final motor then just, like, rolled out of it. And I remember going across the finish line knowing that I got second in the four-day yeah. and I said to myself, you blew it. That was what I said yeah. as I crossed the line, you blew it. Second place. I was pissed. I, I didn't go there to get second. Yeah. Um, and then I missed the next year with a broken wrist. I think that was in Bansdale the next year. And then I did the one the following year in um, New Zealand it was at. Wow. So we had to ship the bikes and everything over. It was a big expense and everything for a you know guy working at the bike shop. Yeah. Um, and so I was doing some wakeboarding and stuff before and just to try to keep fit and whatever because the bike was gone for like a month. Yep. And I tore the medial ligament in my knee, being an idiot. So I got bought a cheap EVS knee brace, strapped that on there, went over with a mate, um, Sideshow. God, that's a funny story within itself. Um, All right, what is it? Oh, God, his missus was a um, 
<laughs> his missus was like a tra- travel agent or something. She, she yeah. organised the um, accommodation for us. So it was ran in a little tiny town on the west coast of the North Island, Kafia Kaf- or something it was at. Mm-hmm. Black beaches and stuff anyway. Um, our accommodation, because I filled the place out, was this old green, like that lime colour green caravan, piece <sighs> of junk thing, yep. parked on the front of the pub grass. So every night people are coming out drunk, throwing their beer cans and everything at the, the side <laughs> of our caravan. I found out the sideshow used to have like night terror, so he'd get up in the night screaming. <laughs> in this van. <laughs> trying to fight, yeah, in this van, trying to fight himself out of the, um, the swag he was sleeping in. Oh, my God, it was a funny four-day. I, <laughs> I brained myself in the first test on, um, on day one. Had a really big crash and uh, so I was eating Panadol Fort for the whole thing and then when you look like crashing a test, you lose a bit of time. Yep. Anyway, so I was back in the class and that, that was the premier class then was the 252 stroke class. So anyway, I was chipping away and chipping away and I got to the final moto and I was like in about sixth or something I got myself back to. And I just remember the the previous four day doing that start spinning forever. Yeah. So you, you get to choose your gate as you're sitting in the class. So they choose me up. And you know, sometimes in a in a grass paddock there'll be that ball patch of yep. just dirt. Well, there was a ball patch on the start gate. And I'm like, yep, that's mine. Rolled up there, um, got a grouse start. I think I was leading the final motor, I was second in it for a while, and then me and um Smith come together and I think I got third in the final moto, which pumped me up to third, you know, in the class. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just uh, the, the funny experiences goes hand in hand with I think this industry, there's always stories and especially within the job, you know, the yeah. factory side of things. Yeah, and travelling. If you've got to travel to somewhere, there's always an experience. Oh, there's always something. something. Yeah, there's always something and hanging out with the, with the guys. Yeah, so... Yeah. New Zealand was good to you. I love New Zealand. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. yeah. They've got, um, well, where you've grown up in Myrtleford, you've, you've got sort of heaven on your doorstep there for it. But their whole whole region for, for trail riding is just incredible. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's So I've done both. I've been lucky enough to do both islands now, but I did the South Island as a bit of a holiday. Yep. Um, and that was amazing. I'd recommend to anybody to go over there. We did it at the motorhome thing. Wow. You know, it was just beautiful um, but the North Island um, I've had some friends go over and stay with Hurley and that and do some riding over there and they said just every, the whole moto scene over there is is really opposite to what it is here here it's got a bit of a bad bad rep at the moment I think yeah. people need to you know wake up a little bit uh, America's got a really friendly rep um, New Zealand's got a super friendly mm. rep come to the tracks come to my track you know it's real welcoming you yeah know? yeah here they're all everybody's been out of shape for some reason I don't know what's what's their problem is um, not everybody but uh, we could definitely be doing it better yeah um, but yeah no New Zealand was was cool and they produce a lot of really good riders definitely you know for such a small little country yeah per capita it's a some good riders turned out. Oh, we had so Cooper rode for us when I was working for Factory Honda. So that was my first step into the Factory Honda, uh, factory sort of mechanic scene. Yep. Um, I'd applied for jobs with um, with DAC before with the CDR team. I'd um, I'd gone down and spoke to Pip Harrison, who was the manager of the Honda race team at that stage. Um, and then he moved out, and Buddha actually. Um, was the team manager mm-hmm. and I remember him ringing me up. So this was, I'd worked for Hilly for like 13 years and ring, Porter calls me up and goes, are you ready to work the hardest you have in your, in your entire life? And I'm like, yep. So he got us down there 
and that's just another whole story. It was the state of that place was um, incredible. But um, yeah, went down there and I got to work, uh, do Cody, Cody Cooper's bike and Shane's King bike. Yeah. So we got I won the lights class um, and got second in the open class. And we first sort of go in the factory wow. sort of thing. But talking about New Zealanders, Cody, mate, he's one of the funniest dudes you'll ever meet. Really? My God. <laughs> his trainer was chasing sharks on his jet ski. Yeah, right. That's what he just run around, just running around, yep. like at home, and God, it was funny. So this was down. What are we talking about? Uh, early two thousands, two thousand four, two four. Okay, yep, yeah. Wow. And it was Honda in a not a state, but was it just? Oh, I was a mess. I remember walking in there, and you, people have got their ideas of what they think a factory team should look like. Yep. And they definitely have stepped up now. That's it's really good. Um, when I walked into Honda, there was just cabinets like old cabinets. You open them up and it's just like they've got every spare part, knowing the man, you've got clutch plates and piston kits and whatever, just all just thrown in there. Wow. You just rummage through there. There was no organised plan. So a lot of the Honda stuff, apart from the astronomical amount of work, because we had five riders and two mechanics, so it was just a, a ratio that just couldn't work. Yep. So we were working insane amounts of hours. Um, was organising the place, getting it back to being a really well-ordered machine, and that was Buddha's um, input. Yeah, he, he always said you'd be the most organised people out there. He set a rule for me, which I carried through my entire career as a factory mechanic. He goes, you, and race day, you pull the bike out, you sit it on the stand and you don't touch it. Mm. And that's to show everybody that you're ready. So I was always the first guy to the track. I'd set up the damn um, quick show, the, all the awning and everything myself if I had to. Yeah. Um, I was always made a point of being the first man there and being more more prepared than anybody. And that was um, really good. Did bring a lot of success and everything, you know, being that way. You know, I was very successful with Dan and yep. um, a lot of other people along the way. So Buddha's background for people that don't know or whatever is HRC, isn't he? He's worked for factory HRC, obviously Mick doing news, that'd be correct? Yeah, so Buddha sort of before then. So to go back, so Buddha I think was yep. the world mini bike motocross champion. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. He gave me a lesson one day on a VMX thing. I never realised he was that good. Man, he made me look like an idiot. So he started that sort of scene. So he was always a good little mini bike rider. Yep. And then I think he started with Leesky. Mm -hmm. um, so he was Leesky's mechanic and a HRC mechanic for a lot of years. And Leesky, you know, second in the world and, and all his success all over the world. So he's been world and US. Then he worked for a couple of other dudes in, uh, in the US um, on Yamaha, I'm pretty sure. Then he jumped from there to Dewan's mechanic under JB. Yep. So then he got the five world championships there. And then he went from there to Kenny Roberts Jr., I think with Suzuki. Yeah. Another and title there, obviously. I don't know. I don't know if he did there or not. Um, and then from there he went out and then he sort of done his own little thing at home. So for him, sort of Buddha was a local guy, but for me being that young kid at the bike shop, he was God. Yeah. And and I still tell him, and like I said to you before, I go I fly up to see him um, on Friday. Um, he's still my hero. Mm. You know, he's been through, he, he's seen so much, he's done so much. He was a hands-on guy, not one of those hanger-oners that talks shit 24 7 yep. you know he was he was a hands-on bloke um and i remember we always used to look up to him and something as a guy that uh, as a kid anyway that always suffered with self-esteem and all that rubbish that went on um i remember him talking to us talking to me he pulled me up one day in the at dargo so we used to do trail ride tours my whole boss used to do trail ride tours okay. and buddy used to do buddha's dirt bike tours as well and they used to go over the hill to dargo over there omeo sort yep. of around that area 
um, Buddha just goes, nothing to make me happier than seeing a young kid like you come out of the bush and be a world champion. And the thing that held me back was was me. You know, I never believed really I'd, I should be able to do it because I, when I was Merriman's sort of trainer partner for that time that, you know, yep. I was at home and, and Merriman come up and ride with us, he said the same thing to me. He goes, you should be the five-time world champ. You know, I can't catch you through here or you've got everything. So as we were talking about before with guys like Stefan and that, the thing that you can't teach, I don't think, regardless of how many schools you do or whatever, is the determination and the self-belief that these people have is second to none. Mm. Second to none. I know Daniel when he, on his A game, um, all those guys, is it's not only their work ethic, it's not got a great machine to work with, you know, a great team is very important. There's all these different elements that bring success, success in any sort of aspect of life, I guess, but especially racing. But... Um, yeah, just being able to believe in uh, that you're going to get the job done, and that's the you know that last little ingredient, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't think it's a little ingredient. I only say I think it's probably one of the main things. Um, Self belief. Yeah, I don't think it's does matter if you're in business or if you're riding a dirt bike or whatever you're doing, you know, swinging a tennis racket or whatever. If you go in, you know, with that that mindset, you're going to be a pretty hard nut to crack. You mm. know. Do you, do you think um, over your career having uh, technical ability as well as being a rider has helped you or has it hindered? Nah, that's, that's, I remember that come up in one of the first um, articles that they did on me. When I first got into the mechanics scene, I thought being a rider was useless. I didn't think it had any – you just had to be a good mechanic, that was your place and that was it. Yep. It ended up being uh, completely different. So – because I was kind of a rider, I could understand. Because the riders all explain everything differently to you. So you sort of understand a bump or how it feels or when you're on the gas or off the gas. Not saying I'm the best rider out there at all by far, but you sort of got a bit of an idea. But um, how I sort of ended up being doing more test riding was, I remember Hody, who was at Newcastle, I think he was having a shocker of a first moto and he comes in, you know, and Hody was pretty um, emotional. Yep. Um, but an awesome dude. Um, who I miss, he uh, he lost it. He's like, the bike's kicking, it's kicking, he's carrying on. And he goes, go on the rebound four in the shock. I'm like, you sure? Because I used to always um, be scared of going the wrong direction. And that's actually um, one thing that makes a really good mechanic. Like me and Ross talk about it. One of the best things to make a good mechanic is fear. You don't want to let the guy down. You don't want to make, make a mistake. You'll do anything to not fail. Yep. So anyway, we'd wind the clicker in four clicks. Next moto he does worse, bike's worse, and that was it because I'd spent so much time. You test and test and test. You end up out here, which is in, where you find out, not where you bloody well should be. Yep. You've wasted all that time. So I'm like, F this. I'll do it me damn self. So um, I started – I rode the bike and within – two braking bumps, you went, oh, it needs more high-speed compression on the shock, it's blowing through, that's why it was kicking you. So when he went in the rebound, it actually made it work worse by packing down a little bit and then, you know, you look like an idiot at the end of the day. So I was determined to make sure that never happened again. Wow. So I started testing and before we knew it, you know, I was testing a lot and it got to the point where the boys trusted me so much, they would just say, look, if you think it's good, we'll run it. So I changed, uh, I think we changed forks in the KXF250 was the year that we caught, they called us the dream team. So we had Mackie, Hody, and Dan, I think, on the team at the same time. 
It's an awesome team. Good team. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, I ended up putting a KYB fork in the front of it because I got a better feel out of that and I lengthened the shock a little bit on those early model KXFs and it just helped the chassis out heaps. Yeah, and they just ring up. You, know, you talk to them and they just said, if you're comfortable, we'll run it. So yeah. it's really rare. You know, Usually you test and you test and test and the guy's got to be real happy, but they, it was a really cool um, sort of experience that I got to, to have. Who's, who's been someone, like as you've worked with a number of different riders now, who's, who's been someone that gives you good feedback? Oh, God. Because um, I'm guessing across the way there'd be some awful feedback where it's like oh, yeah. the bike's just bouncing, you know, or something, you know, like the. Yeah, or it's jitterbugging me, or where they say something some like stuff, that. man, you've got to be a psychologist, I think, yes. half the time. Um, some of them, you know, you play the trick of the two rebounding, you click it in, you click it out, um, and they'll come in. Yep. And yeah, before you've done it, the thing's unrideable, and then you pretty much send them back out with the placebo. Yeah. And that's unreal, and that's when you put the stamp of they're never, never going to test anything ever again from then on. Really? Oh, yeah. Yep. Just go, well, they obviously don't know. And, you know, some guys don't need to know. They can still just ride a bike unreal. It just yep. You just have to put something. Cody Cooper, you just stick something underneath him as long as it's about right. Unbelievable. He was so fast. Is that the, is that the rider that becomes like a natural talent? Someone that can just ride anything is that a natural? No, do you think? I think it. I or think work? as far as a rider goes, it goes up to a certain point and then it holds him back. Dan- Daniel was really, he was one of the coolest dudes I worked for. Yeah. Um, not just because of our success together and the times we had together were really good, but it was his hunger for figuring it out. Yep. Um, I said to a guy yesterday about it. It's not just he wasn't just good. When we first started working together, it was at uh, the Skin Supercross motorbike expo in melbourne um so we had a bit of a testing together see if we all gel together so he did the supercross for two nights and then they threw me on a bike to do the um enduro cross the night after yeah and i won that nice um um on a kxf toby price's supercross spare bike serious (laughs) and you did the enduro cross on it (laughs) wow yeah they did they chucked me in the media class or whatever it was and uh it was funny Oh, the guy's going to come up and Mackie goes, oh, I didn't realise you could ride a bike. I'm like, oh, yeah, sort of little handy. What we do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Dan. Yeah, Dan, Dan, whatever his weakness was, he would go away and he'd work super hard on it yeah. and he'd work it out and the next week the problem was gone and, and that was part of his success. You know, he worked hard. He was the sort of guy, the harder you worked him physically, um, the better results. Wow. He was 100% driven. So he's gone through different patches in his life, you know, and he'll look back at different ones and, and you know, come to the realisation of the truth in years to come. Um, back then, one thing I was thinking about before that I was going to say, so when we won that 06 Supercross Championship, so that we, we come in there as unknowns, yep. we come out at Adelaide, brained them, brained them. Um, he won the opens, Cody won the lights, and I held up a sign saying, believe the hype. Yep. And I put in a um, magazine that he just seen that and he seen red, so he hated <laughs> hated me and everything about what I put up there and everything. Yep. Um, and then uh, yeah, anyway, we ended up winning that championship um, just through some really hard work, you know, and overcome some some obstacles. You know, Dan hurt himself when we went to the US as a test ride and rode through with an injured foot and. And Leesky come up to me after the race. So he was still um, with KDM at that stage. 
and he shook my hand. And, you know, I look up to all these as a rider, you know, anybody that knows anything about this sport should look up to him as a, as one of the greatest Respect. that ever was. Yep. And he shook my hand and he goes, you two would have done that out of the back of a high ace. Wow. And we know exactly what that meant. He goes, you, you, he, he could see from the outside we were so driven, you couldn't, you couldn't beat us. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was Dan's. Dan's was, was 100% committed. Well, you look at the photos of the, um, of the time with you two guys and before I did this, I was having a bit of a flick through some different pics and the, the focus, in, like if I look at yourself in your eyes and I look at Dan, there's sort of nothing else happening. It was just this, you know. It, it was pretty cool to see actually and you saying that now. Oh, it was. Um, it was uh, the the, cra- the work that went in was huge. Like we were lucky in 06 that we had a really good bike. So that yep. first KXF 450 was a good thing. They had a few dramas with rods breaking. The early rod had like two lubrication holes through the top and it used to split. That was the one that nearly killed James. Um, but uh, overall the bike was really good. So we had a good base to start with. And then the team, I was really lucky to be paired up with um, uh, Ross McWaters as a team manager yep. and still a close friend to mine till today and always will be. Um, and uh, Kenny Wheeler. Uh, Kenny's doing his stuff down at Sydney now himself, yep. factory spec. So, um, yeah, just a, a super cool time. But, man, the work, the amount of people think it's uh, some paid holiday that you do. The amount of times I slept out the front of my old car, you know, you're working that many hours and just to make it happen. It's, yeah, perception, mm. isn't it? Perception, perception of a factory team or perception of this is so different to reality, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. And uh, you sort of, I think anything in life, maybe the harder you work at it. Carmichael says it, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I got. Yep. You know, I, I can't even imagine the guy's mental state, you know, that guy with his with his success, how strong he must have been. But um, yeah, I've definitely worked, at, like going back to the original question, I've worked for some really cool people over the years, a lot of different ones. When I was in the US, I worked for a lot of different people as well. When Dan got injured or whatever, I yep. worked for Alex, Alex Martin. was a, a pleasure to work with um, the chicks. The girls have, have been probably the best. Yep. Um, Catherine Prum, I got mm-hmm. to work with her, build her bike. I think they won a championship here and maybe 07. Um, super, super committed. Put the guys to shame. Wow. Turn up early, go for a run before we even had the bikes out of the truck. Um, give your hand. Professional. Yeah, yeah, the guys turn up with their gear bags thinking they're too cool for school. But, um, you know, and, and she was a world champ, you know, made them all look silly here in Australia. Um, Jessica, Pat- Jessica Patterson was the same. Vicky Golden was the same. Um, Haru Masua or something, a Japanese motocross champion. Right. Um, she was the same. But they just thank you so much. There's no drama or problems. It's all pretty easy um some some guys here can be a pain yeah especially if things aren't going well you know it's all it all gets pretty it's good when you're winning it's the greatest job in the world you do what you want um but when you're not winning and there's things aren't going right yeah it's tough it's a tough one how are you as a racer were you like that when it's not going well you obviously prepared your own stuff i'm guessing for a while. Yeah, look, I didn't get to the, the enduro. I got to a decent level, yep. I guess um, you could say. But motocross, I was just like a state guy. I could do all right in the state stuff. Yep. I was fast. Just crashed my brains out all the time. Um, um, I don't know. Just try super hard. Yep. Try super hard. Absolutely fearless. We still talk today about me going through the whoops at Cobram, and I can't believe I didn't die. You know, it was all apparently all the A graders. Everybody used to come to the fence to watch 
me, cogging yep. gears, you know, fourth gear, I think it was the tallest gear I could pull going into them, jumping into them as far as I could. So sort of like fearless like that. But I look back now and it was a kid that knew nothing, nothing of how to ride a motorcycle. Really? Oh, like no idea. Like technical ability? No idea. Wow. None. I ride better now than I ever have. Really? Um, as in smart? Yep. yep. It, it happens easier. You think about things a little bit more. Um, you know, you, your technique's better. I can still bang out a 40-minute moto without doing any training to speak of whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I ride better now than I ever have, but then you've got the other things like you know, your age, the fact that you've got to go to work on Monday, everything like that. But yeah, you're funny when you look back as a kid um, and, and everybody's got, I guess, the same. If, what the hell were you thinking? How were you even getting yeah. you know, around the track without um, killing yourself half the time? It's weird, isn't it? Same, same sort of thing. It's a reflection. You, you, you reflect back on it and think, where, where, where that, where, where that come from? You know. Oh, look, I think like me, like I said, no idea, yeah. no idea. And I had a few people try to help me, um, but I guess I was just too crazy um, with a lot of the personal stuff going on. Yeah. To um, th- that's why I think that a guy to become a, a really successful, I guess it's in any sport, but I can only speak of like off-road sort of stuff, is a really, really unique person. Um, you know, they're going to take some really big risks that normal people wouldn't do. Mm. Normal people wouldn't think about jumping a triple with ruts up the face of it or nothing. No way. No way. So they're a guy that's but yet smart enough to dissect it, start smart enough to work on things, have a work ethic, have a carefree, have all these different parts of a personality to make up a champion. Mm. Um, it's still measured. There's, there's a risk but it's a measured... Yeah, there's, there's measure yeah. measure in there, isn't there? Do enough work that you're confident enough to just do, you know, take it in your stride. Um, Someone we we're talking about before this started, Toby, to see what what he's, you know, you worked with him in the mid two thousands to now, um, the work ethic uh, measure. I, I, I don't know how he does it. To, to be honest, what he's done now, um, but yeah, he's there's something in there as a recipe, hey. Well, here's a cool story. So when we can talk about Toby and Toby, and this is just yep. my version. You yep. know, everybody's version is always different. So Toby, I think, had won a um, motocross championship. There was always like pictures of his blood all over his hands. That was him. That was him as a kid. You know, he was a try-hard yep. um, kid from the bush. And he's still, a, you know, I was only at his place the other day and he still just laughs about being a bogan. <laughs> but he... Um, so he got thrown into the deep end as we were talking with Kawasaki... Um, and with no supercross experience, you know, it was just getting pounded and pounded, injuries and injuries, and, and injuries will, will wreck anybody's career. And then, so that was in 2004 while I was at Honda, and then I went to Kawasaki in 2005. So we had Toby, Meddy, um, and Shane. Shane King, was he there? I don't think he was. I think it was just those two. Yeah. Anyway, um, same thing was happening. You know, he... he you go, he, he always, always worked hard and everything like that. He was a big, easy guy to get along with, no yeah. dramas, injuries, injuries, injuries. Anyway, this is, I don't think we spoke about this. This is a bit of an interesting story, not claiming any fame or anything. But um, I used to like taking the boys out for a trail ride because I know I'd sort them out up in the bush. Most yeah. of them couldn't get out of their own way. You know, Dan was good off-road. Uh, he's, yeah. He could ride sort of a bit of everywhere. Hody was. Mackie was like he'd never ridden a motorcycle before in your life. We really? rode at the back here at Yatla, hopeless. 
Um, so I went for a ride with Tobe. So we went to his place. Um, he was doing some work at Whitey at Pro, uh, Pro Motion Suspension, whatever he calls himself there. Um, he had at Whitey's place and he had a bit of a loop there. So I went out and I thought I'd be able to give him a bit of a touch-up. Brain me. Really? I'm like, man, you're good off-road, Tobes. And I said, a big, usually a big kid like that, he's big, he's strong, which works really good on the off-road stuff. His speed is, is way fast enough. Um, he could just dial it back, you know, um, and still kill all the enduro guys because he's that fast. Yeah. And I just said to him, oh, you should just give it a go, Tobes. You never know, you know, um, just try it out. You might like it. And I said the same thing to the Smith brothers. You know, yeah. they were the same big, solid guys. Strong guys, yep. Crashed and crashed and hurt themselves on a Supercross track. Supercross was good for like a little guy, you know, always sort of was really instead of these really big, strong, bulky yep. guys. Um, anyway, Tobes goes off and does it and kills him. And we were speaking about this the other day when I was talking to him. So he goes out there and um, wipes the floors with, with these guys. And he goes, I just, even and he can probably tell this story better than anyone saying that it's his story. But even he goes, he just wanted to do it for a year just to see how it went. And he, he kind of enjoyed it so much that he stuck with it. Wow. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I mentioned it to him and I think um, Johnny from Lusty said the same thing to him he yep. probably seen it with him as well but how he took it was just next level I, one of his one of his weaknesses was motocross starts really? so I built a set of start gates at Kawasaki just welded them together just two start gates because I was actually pretty good at starts so we went up I think it was me him and uh, Ross went up somewhere and banged him into the ground and we're doing starts so um, just to try get him to beat me. You can't beat the mechanic, mate. You need a bit of a tune-up. His last start of the day, um, so you do a start, you break into, the, into this little thing, turn around, come back. Yep. We just did it over and over until he got the damn thing right. He's breaking into there, picked up a rock in the ground. Um, so when the front wheel's hit it, it's pulled it out of the ground, hit the rear wheel, lock, locked it, uh, threw him over the bars, broke his collarbone, doing ah. starts. You know, I took him to the hospital. I think it was up to Toowoomba there somewhere or somewhere. Um, couldn't believe his bad luck. So to take a kid that would break his collarbone doing starts to it's watching him what he's done now in Dakar and the toughest, it's just inspirational mm. to say the least. There should be a stronger word because of what he's done. Like I would have never thought he would be so dominant flicking it through trees at the pace he's going at. You know, I, did, I hit plenty of them myself, let alone going at his pace doing it. Yep. Um, I- incredible. And like, and to go, to make it even better, huh, you can just talk to the guy like a normal guy. Yes. No ego. Just a person, hey? Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. There needs to be a stronger word for it. And yeah, he's, yeah, it's purely just incredible to see what he's done. Oh, it's just, it's great to see it. See, see how hard it was on him, you know, at Cow, he, he had all this expectation on his shoulders. His, his parents, you know, sacrificed a lot for the kid. Um, you know, I went and had a, a dinner with them years and years ago, and I'll never forget, it was just down in some little caravan park at Singleton or somewhere, and this dodgy little caravan, and, you know, they, to see the success that they've had now is, is like I said, inspirational is, is not a strong enough word, mm-hmm. and they're still fantastic people. Yep. They still talk to you like the day they met you. Um, nothing's changed apart from his success, yep. which is fantastic. You couldn't wish it upon a, a better person. 100%. And, you know, they're, they're um, people of the sport. Like that's the mum and dads that you see all around the countryside 
Like that's the ultimate success story for our sport. Yeah, if you but could, as a poster boy that's done such a good job of, of working away, chipping away at it, that's who you want your kids to look up to and stuff. I feel anyway. You know, he's he's an incredible um, ambassador for our sport. Oh, for sure. And not every kid's going to be able to do it, but no. people think it's been easy. That's that's the thing. If they knew how many broken bones and how many tears and and. Yep. And the tough times that uh, just Toby's been through, mate, they wouldn't ride a motorcycle. Mm. Um, and and everybody like was saying like the stories that Buddha used to tell me about Mick, incredible what that guy come through. So even that the injury side aside to even come through it, um, that's why when you look at guys like now like Roxon, gives you like an all a newfound respect yeah. for a guy that can come with a, an arm that's smashed like a you know bag full of pasta to. Um, <sighs> To domination, yeah, yeah. What, what? What? Do you think his headspace has changed this year? Who? Ken Roxon. Like he just looks. Um, the the new bike obviously looks like a fantastic package as well, and the, yeah, all the Hondas are bike. doing really well. Um, but wow, he looks incredible. Yeah, well, the new Honda is a good bike. I've done a fair few of those. They missed the stock setting by a mile, but the bike I think is definitely a really? better bike. Yeah, yeah, they. They killed the forks in it. They should have just put last year's standard fork setting in it. Would have been is a better, right? better production bike. Yeah. Um, but he's definitely like he talks about it, you know, and, and that's part of the the game is to show yeah. um, how how much more prepared that he is physically, and mentally. Um, apart from getting the results, which have been fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely come out swinging. It's about his time to come out, I guess. You can't just keep Close. Not, not getting the results. He's paid to get the results. But, yeah, he's he's cool. I'm on the the smaller minority. I'm a, I'm a Tomac. I'm a Kawasaki person traditionally. I'm a Tomac fan, and, man, it's been tough. <laughs> yeah, Eli. So I was meant to work for Eli when I was uh, over there to stay, when I was going to – I got offered to stay there for, the, for a bit longer. Um they're another cool, cool family, you know. Yeah. No, same thing. No drama. No tantrums. Just Pretty, good people, hey. Work hard. Yeah, Tomax. Um, it's always funny, like especially now with social media. Everybody's just. I've been watching the Supercrosses this year. It's just, what's the next round going to bring? They're bashing Freezy. They're bashing um, Wilson. Yeah. They're bashing Roxon. They're bashing somebody, and everybody's an expert. Unless you've been in there, a to see how fast these guys are on a bike everyone there yep. astronomical the guys that are not even making the lcq would wipe the floor with 90 percent of the people that even dream of being a factory ride in australia yep so that puts it in perspective it's happened year and year over and over and over they bring guys over they can't do nothing over and they just give everybody here a lesson so the level over there is really high so um yeah, guys like Tomac and that to win a championship, it's just a special kind of person. Really is. Everything's got to be clicking and everything yep. comes together. I think Roxon this year is going to be good. I think the hardest one to beat is Webb. Yeah. He's a dog with a bone, that guy. Yeah. Did you ever get to work with him? No. No. no never even never even met him, no. you know. Um, nor Roxon or anything. That's sort of like after my bit. next. Yeah. He, um, Webb, as a mindset... Oh, it must be a strong mindset. Whatever's I, in that head. He, uh, I love how he cuts across four ruts and everything, and you know, block passes you two like, yep. two corners from the end to get the win. There, there's a, he's he would be really cool to work with because of how hungry he is. Yep. Um, 
you know, it's something about Trey, and this is not a, this is no disrespect at Trey all. Kennard. Yeah, yep. I, I, one of the best dudes over there. That I really, really like Trey. Yep. He's a really good dude, and I really like seeing him in the sport. You know, same thing, riddled with injuries and everything. Really, some really horrific ones, but. Uh, he, he's a guy that would throw his helmet against the side of the truck, man, if, if he didn't win or whatever. Wow. And I like that. I didn't like it if the kid has a sook because he comes 25th from not try and then crash shits. Mm. Um, Trey wanted it so bad he knew he, he'd let everybody down. And Dan had the same sort of thing as well. He didn't go crazy like that, but he always didn't want to let, let, let us down. Dan would apologise, I'm oh, sorry for that effort, you know. That's, that's a special guy. Yeah, um, and it means a lot to a team. It sort of gives us, don't you know, we're, we've got you, we've got your back. Don't worry about it. And we'll yeah. go out and we'll get this job done. Um, Webb would be super motivated. He would be, yeah. he would be a, a, you know, he he's been through his hard bits. At Yamaha obviously wasn't gelling for him there. That would have been some pretty bad times. I'm sure, sure. his mechanics have probably got different things to say. Um, would have been a pretty shit time to be, yeah. be around. But um, yeah, he's definitely. Definitely, there's, there's a lot of really good guys. You know, when you look at um, lap times, I follow lap times and everything now. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different game now. Um, any of those guys can kind of win. It just really depends on how the the race plays out. Mm. The 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 start has never been so important, has it? No, you can't you can't make up ground on those guys. The lap times never lie. Like this was a I've had a heap of different managers over the years. Yeah, and they've all got their their strong points and weak points. One of Ross's points was uh, he was really good with data and times and he could calculate and work out, you know, if you're, if you're the fifth fastest guy, you know, the rule of thumb in motocross or any of this sort of stuff, you're going to end up fifth. If mm-hmm. you get the whole shot, you'll go back there or if you got a bad start, you'll move up to there. The thing is now is all the lap times are kind of nearly the same. That's why the guys really don't move unless they make a mistake or somebody gets in the way or yep. something like that happens. So it's really, yeah, really, uh, really tight. The start is really important. It's yeah, it's it's everything, you know. That's that's where you can make up or lose your most positions, isn't it? Yeah, it was hard past bloody twenty guys that are going nearly as quick as yesterday. Yeah, so. Now, without embarrassing you, you're probably known across Australia as one of the better suspension guys. How, how did how did that come about? Just experience, or is it something that you always had a good feel for? Um, yeah, that's a cool one. Um, Look, I remember racing myself. I was, uh, I think I was leading a, like a, what they used to call them in Victoria, cross country or whatever. It was like a GNCC type thing. Yep. Um, I was leading it outright and I was riding uh, for Johnny Motorcycles as a shop assisted thing through KDM. I think it was about 2000, 2001 or whatever. I remember coming through braking bumps and the thing was just going bang, bang, bang in my hands, slamming down that hard, you know, blowing through, nearly blowing my hands off the bars. I had no idea back then yeah. of, uh, of how to fix it. And you know, it, it hurts your results. So I, the thing with, with coming from a small shop was um, you had to do everything. So we were doing suspension, building cranks, building engines, building complete bikes, yeah. diagnostics, electronics, Everything. So you weren't just a little. You didn't know just a little bit. You had to know everything and had to be good at everything. Um, so the suspension thing, I always had good feel, I guess. And um, and then once you become uh, a good enough mechanic, and, and any mechanic can do it. Anybody with a mechanical mind that can break something down, dissect it, and work out how it works, and then put it back together. Um, 
anybody could sort of really do that. So I guess it was something that is probably one of the most important parts of the off-road motorcycling is uh, the handling and the setup of the motorcycle because even if the thing's a bit slow or whatever, you can still ride the wheels off the thing if it handles without it killing you and get results. Mm. Um, so the suspension sort of thing, I guess, it just it was part of me, my makeup, I guess. I want to be the best and all that sort of stuff all the time. I think about stuff all the time. I've been lucky to be surrounded with some really good people, Buddha, Roscoe, uh, Pip, um, seen enough of the, the you know, Geico stuff. Um, everybody's on the same page. That's why now when you pull something apart and it's either the workmanship's dog shit yep. or the settings are just not even from this planet. Um, everybody that's good, it's all, all sort of on the same page. Um, that's, that's kind of really important. But I don't know, it's just been a thing that's... Um, feel yeah and a bit of common sense and you know all that sort of stuff I guess is it something you're seeing more these days the you'll get something come in sent to you and you go workmanship's poor or is everything at a level no no it's all over the place god you've no idea one I did last week was missing half the parts out of a spring conversion kit it's just it's a disaster see suspension used to be known as the black art you know people were terrified of touching it you wouldn't dare. And I'll go back to talking. Ross is older than me, so he's, he's got a lot more experience than me. So this is Ross McWhorters? Ross McWhorters, yep. yeah. So we always talk all the time about sort of stuff. And uh, back in the day, it was forbidden. It was forbidden. You don't touch it. You don't pull it apart. That's a specialised thing. And then over the years, it's changed and it's changed. Anyway, now now it's to the point where everybody's game enough to watch some half-assed YouTube video and start ripping and tearing and get a sticker made and go out and do their thing. Um, and each to their own. I mean, good on them. Everybody's got to start somewhere, but now it's just a mess. It's it's really is it's e- I guess it's easier because back in the day, if you snapped a post off a rebound post or something like that, that's it. She's over. Show's over. Mm-hmm. Now you can buy parts, so we have got some good supplies in the country. Um, but so, I don't know. It, it's I don't know if it's just me. I, I it's still hard. It is a hard job to do. It's a hard job to get right. It's very. You got to be very, very precise. You got to use very, very good quality parts, which always was was the thing I learned early on when I went out on my own. Yep. Um, you're always at the mercy of your parts. That's why now you know Silkerland fluids, Ibark springs, um, SKF seals. You just use the best that you can that money can buy. Period. That's that. It all otherwise it all comes back on you. Yep. You know, uh, do a lot of R and D settings. Like I said, my business doesn't stop. It's from six till midnight, seven days a week, and it's always chasing up a guy. Or you know, I did a small change setting change this morning before I got here. So I did Zane Delump's um, forks this morning, wow. and I did uh, uh, Rizzo's um, a fork change for him. Uh, not Ross Rizzo. Joel, yeah. Joel. Never stops. No, no. When when might um be, might be wrong. Ross Rizzo hopeless with names. I've saved people in my phone under um Northern New South Wales. Yeah, probably Ross. Probably Ross. Fast guy. Yeah, yeah, quick. Mm. He's been really good work with. Same thing again. Gives quick. Gives good feedback. Yeah. Um, and I bounce got, I don't know, twenty one CRF four fifty. So I've done a fair few of them already. I've ridden one myself. And then you sort of like just move the settings around because everybody's a little bit different. You can't just keep doing the same setting for everybody. It, this is another thing that's weird with suspension. People say, I got my suspension done. What the hell does that mean? Mm. Done what? Um, you can take a standard bike with some a lot of problems. 
then you can put a setting in that you believe and everybody's different um, that is a good setting to to sort of suit that guy, spring rate, you know, valving, whatever. Yeah. Um, but generally that's only the first step and then I usually tell people if you've got to go any more than two to four clicks max depending on the, the suspension brand, um, we have to change the setting to suit you. So you always got to move it around a little bit from person to person because everybody's different. Yeah. Like you were saying before, you know, with the cow that you had, you jump on it, it's either right or it's not right. And you if know you can't, yeah, you know, you generally know, even if you don't know what they're talking about, it's one thing that we always promote with testing. It's pointless making a setting change and then you do busting at a 40 minute moto, you'll know in three corners yeah. if it's better, worse, or can't tell. Ross used to always say. And if you don't know, that's when you don't you can't touch tell. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, some guys, some guys don't need to touch it. Yeah. What's a good what's um what's a good suspension package coming out of the factory now? Cowie forks are good. Yeah, They're the KXF 450 fork. I've done a lot of those, and you leave them standard. They're good. You know, yeah, spring them up a bit. You put more oil in the outer chamber, and they're not bad. They're yeah. not a bad setting for Australian sort of conditions for an average sort of normal dude. Uh, you don't need to. I don't need to sell them a revalve to to create more bloody work for myself. I've got tons there as it is. Yeah. Um, they're actually a good fork um, standard. So there's some, yeah, there's some out there that are pretty good. The guys seem to be liking the um, 21 YZF 250. Yeah, okay. Um, standard package. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not bad, you know. Other bikes that have come out, like 16 model Kato when they first released the new bike was deadly. Really? It was terrible. They Just a bad design. Missed it by a mile. They, they, the standard rear spring then I think was a... 48 Newton, mm-hmm. um, which was good for a guy like nearly 100 kilos oh, yeah. um, with the same linkage on the bike now, yep. you know. So, yeah, they all they all go and leave some bounds. Like I said, the 21 Honda, they just they killed a, that, that with the fork setting. They, oh, yeah. they really missed the mark with that one. Because um, the chassis set up and that, obviously the balance seems pretty good, eh? Yeah, they're great. Mm. A bit hard to get the shock in and out of, you know. Um, but a lot of the bikes are now getting a little more complicated, I guess, with all the electronics and everything going on. Yep. Um, Yami's still very good to work with. The Cowie's still a really good bike to work with. I'm, I'm a Cowie guy as well. You'd love coming to my place. I've got a shed full of them. Yeah. Um, I've heard you've got a you've got a bit of a collection going, hey? Yeah. yeah so yeah, t- so you did you, did you sell that 250 that you originally had and then refound it years later? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I bought that By one. chance or was it uh, so something went, you're searching for? No, no, I had to buy a chance. So I went from uh, that DT100. So I started yep. riding when I was seven, flapped around the farm on that thing. Um, there's some funny stories on that thing as well. I always had a thing of crashing on New Year's Eve. So oh. apparently they found me one day. Again, I used to wear an open-faced blue helmet with a yellow peak. I don't know what it was. And I used to burn around the farm, you know, watch him, he's getting faster, he's going too fast, too fast. Yep. Bang, down I go. So they reckon they found me one day... Um, unconscious down there they dragged me back to the house like like i was dead and i'm like i'm spitting out oh blood blood but it wasn't blood it was cow shit oh <laughs> <laughs> i'd end for end of this thing down the paddock i was only a kid you know yeah but they reckon uh yeah i talked to my mum about it she thought it was hilarious but anyway i went from that to um <laughs> a uh KX250, so I was holding a cow on my farm, which was that 83 KX250. Yeah. So I went, it, it uh, been in the head-on or something, had that KDX front end, and I just wanted one. I don't know, as a kid, I just had to have one. So I sold the DT to a friend, got some money, put it together, bought this KX250, 
And, uh, yeah, he used to ride around on that like a bloody madman. So imagine jumping from a DT100 to a yeah. 83K XT50, bloody hell. Anyway, I used to be a... Um, I used to be a really good javelin thrower at school. I did the states and stuff and used to just spank everyone. And I took the KX250 for my first ride out of the farm, whatever, come down a hill, flat front tyre, drove me into the ground, wrecked my shoulder, no money, no nothing, never got it fixed, Couldn't, still can't throw a tennis ball. Wow. So shoulder's gone. Yeah. Your whole life. Yeah, I don't know what I did to it, but I crunched it good back then. So, yep. yeah, that was the end of that. Couldn't, still got dramas with it till today. So, and then, uh, but yeah, found that bike. So how it, how it come to be was I was working in, uh, for Wodonga KDM. So that was John Hill Motorcycles moved across. So he yep. still had, uh, I, th- I think he still had John Hill Motorcycles running in Murderford. Then we moved KTM to Aubrey Wodonga. And then uh, there was a cylinder sitting in a box that the kid dieboard left there. And I was just like, man, I need a, I need a camping bike. And there was a KX250 cylinder anyway. I, I went and I knew him, so I grabbed the old boss gave me the cylinder. I took it around to, in my mind to buy this KX250 so we could jump it through the fire and do all the things that you do it <laughs> with the boys. <laughs> anyway, um, um, I'm looking at this bike and I'm like, man, that's my old bike because I could tell I had 90 model KX stickers on it and I painted the frame. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, that was yours. It went from this guy to this guy to this guy. So I did a job for him. He gave me the bike and I restored it all and it's sitting in my house today. So, wow. Have so, you ever ridden it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I rode it a couple of times after I'd finished it and a mate just said to me, he goes, don't ride it. He goes, you can't get this back again. You'll never find your original bike back. You'll wreck it. Mm. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. So then yeah, I parked it and then I've, I've, I've kept the collection going. I've got a bunch of the bloody things now. Do you have a favourite? Ah. <sighs> People, so I've got all sorts of bikes. So I've got uh, my RM125 that I had when I was in Geico over there. I used to ride that. And wow. my Emig used to laugh, laugh watching me ride it because I was just wide open everywhere. Um, I've got, uh, you know, some Yamahas. I've got a bunch of Cowies, like um, something from the 83 KX250, 89 KX250 US Model 1 uh, with the 46 conventional forks and a low boy tank. I've got... 92KX125, 98KX250, 01KX250, 05KX250, um, DR400. And people come in and say, oh, which bike's your favourite one? And I usually point at the DR. Yeah, it does everything. I know, I probably sound like a retard saying it, but it's just uh, it's just when you're on it, there's no stress or pressure. Yeah. You never have any problems. It's about the ride, not not you know anything else. I've had some really good experiences on that bike with those couple of trips up the Cape with some good friends. Um, but my, my bikes now, like my modern bike that I ride, it's actually no one KX250. Yep. I just love that KX250 sound punch. You know, the boys were at the track the other day when I was riding. Just you look like a hero when you're riding a thing because you're, you know, they're still competitive. Yep. Um, it sounds good. It smells good on good fuel and. Castor oil and still got heaps to go, hey. Yeah, they weren't the fastest bike. I was saying to a mate yesterday, the guy I was talking to about the um, 94 RM250 that he's got. I said back in the day, I tried the two class thing, the 125 class and the 250 class. Yep. And the 250s used to kill me. Like that that 92 KX250 I got, that that punished me the whole time I had it. I just never enjoyed riding it because it had way too much power. Yep. And back then they were probably lucky to be mid 40s. Mm. You know, the Cowie wasn't never renowned for a big horsepower motor. Um, now I love riding them. Now a 250 is just really good. It's just got the right amount of power. It hasn't got too much. It hasn't got, yeah. It's, it's just fun. It's funny, you know, I, I got to ride a 97 250 last year, CR. 
yep. which was known not to be the favourite model across enthusiasts, I guess. I got to ride it, and it's the first time I've ridden one for years and years, and I hopped on, and I'm like, wow, this is just really nice to ride. It was just set up nice, and it was just... The power is really nice. There's nothing crazy, you know. It's just good. It was just really good. If you do them right, like the bike I was on on the weekend was, yep. um, I was doing some tyre testing. It was a 98 kx 250 I've done. So that's yep. a 20 grand bike. Um, wow. Really nice bike. Everything works unreal. Super fun. So as far as all my bikes, I've got ones that I really enjoy, and that's one of them. Um, but they're, they're good. If you get one that's nice and tight and everything like that, like, that's what people don't realise. Like that KX250 motor, say, that was essentially the same. Um, from 1993, which was a J2, all the way to 2004. Same thing. Then same motor, same style. The, the YZ250 motor now has mm. been the same motor since 1999. It's it's not like they're reinventing the wheel with the thing. It's it's that CR250 motor. The cases I've got two at home. I'm building at the moment, which are a complete nightmare. Um, engine cases were essentially the same, and the whole motor was essentially the same from 1992 to 2001. You know, yeah. basically the same thing. Yep. It's funny, isn't it? Like the as an outside, people don't. Everyone thinks that the model year. Oh, it's going to be so different or yeah, whatever. So much better. Yeah. There's not much. Oh, sometimes they go backwards. Four strokes have been cool. You know, the, some of those earlier, um, that 426 Yamaha that they released. Yep. So when they wrote the 400 was 98, 99. It's about 2000, 2000. 2002. Oh, yep. God, they were a killer. I remember my mate had one, Clint Morrison. I couldn't ride the thing. Really? Brutal, brutal. It's like a sledgehammer. Yeah. It's so, funny that the years, there's been certain years that have done that haven't they with different models yeah they all go up and down that suspension gets harder and softer and the motor gets softer and more linear and then harder hitting and they sort of just go round and round and round um, where they are at the moment like Kato's got a really good rep for a really good 450 motor yep. um, have had for a long time uh, Yamaha as well they've all got their strengths and weaknesses but the best thing about the electronics is you can just change it like that on your phone now you yeah. can just go oh I want it more linear today beep there you go done yeah it's yeah. so simple hey yeah back in the day you know it was more complicated you you really couldn't move the jetting much the jetting was just determined how well it ran yep and then after that you could muck around with the exhaust cam timing you know flyable weights you know clutch basket weights um, that was that was the, the main things wasn't it really at that time yeah yeah now electronic electronically you can change that whole entire motorcycle yeah it's crazy which is really cool yeah I, I haven't I've got the new house gear and I haven't touched any really anything yet I'm just yeah it's just a good out of the box thing you, know? oh. you don't need to touch anything which is pretty cool oh they like cheating now I rode that 450 yep. the other day and honestly I've got to be on my A game and make sure you don't make any mistakes and hit all your marks and carry your speed and everything on, a, on an old two stroke thing yep. you know everything matters you know that's why it's kind of cool doing tyre testing on it because it really matters yep. you feel everything and then you jump on that 450 Honda and you can be the sloppiest messiest rider one wheeling one right one in the other yep. you know laid on the power and you can still ride reasonably fast and i remember something that brett metcalf wrote in the magazine i think he was doing a thing for adv back in the day so it was when he was on that yamaha troy was it 125 so one of the last guys out there on one yep he said the four strokes have made an average rider into a good one it's true yep yep yeah every word of that is exactly right isn't it yeah so and and, and you see it in the the racing's different from because of it too. There's a lot more. There's a lot more people uh, being able to vie for 
a top 10, for instance, because it's 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 level it's leveled the playing field a little bit more. And I guess that's I why we're going back to what we we're talking about before. Why yeah. you see so many times like so exactly the same. Yeah, um, it's so well developed in it at, at, at yeah. that point. Like I remember, like oh god, the stories. We could talk about this forever, but um, press day and stuff like the mosses on YZ one two five back in the day. My god, like everybody was waiting for them, so they had to be. One of them had to be the first guy to jump the triple. And usually on press day, the triple wasn't built properly. It yeah. was always a bit crazy anyway they've always got to line the thing up there you had to get uh, there what it wasn't unusual for guys during racing back in the those sort of days the guys just wouldn't jump the triple on a, one, on a 125 you just didn't have the power and unless you got the corner absolutely perfect and everything was you know all your ducks were in a row yep you, you weren't doing it so now any guy can roll around a corner like a retard you yep. know roll the throttle and, and do it most of the time anyway um, but yeah, back in those days, God, I remember we used to have some good laughs watching those boys. They were fearless, <laughs> still are fearless. Yeah, it's still there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When um, in when did you go to America? Was oh eight, oh seven? Was end Dan's of end of oh eight, end of nine. Yeah. How was it? Like when you first first got there, were you, was it like a um, we lost? Yeah, that's some good questions. So I remember something, so I went to go from uh, Kawasaki here, so yep. finished up with Kawa here mm -hmm. and went to Geico. So I remember the first thing that went through my head when I walked into Geico was what the hell have I done? It was, was. a mess, mate. Yeah, it was in a, it was in a Geico pit. Honda? Yep. Oh. Yep. I know, uh, you know, good friends with Ziggy and everything, but the team internally was in a bit of a mess. It was a bit of a bit of a messy place period it was really disorganized and everything there's a lot of internal fighting and oh god it was a shit show but um like the u.s the u.s was so my only experience of the u.s prior to that is we went over so me ross uh kenny and dan went over just to do a one-off race thing yeah so we roll over there and it was just unreal it was where everybody that works in the industry or has anything to do with australia motocross Dreams of the US, yep. in, in, and, and I highly recommend anybody that wants to, should you know when all this COVID stuff sorts itself out, is go over experience it. It's, yep. it's fantastic. They love motocross. Here, you're a, you're might as well be a leper. <laughs> over there, they love it. It's a mainstream sport. They really encourage it, especially if, if you're from another country. So anyway, I roll over there and um, we did that first race, and we were practicing really good. Dan was on pace, and like everybody was looking at him, was like, "Oh, who's this guy?" And I'll go, we're just from Australia, having a bit of a crack. Anyway, we rode at, um, where was it? Lake Elsinore. And he slipped off the peg in between a section and crunched his foot on the ground and um, bruised his heel, but it's like super painful as a rider. So nothing broken, but like might as well have been. Um, so we went to do um, Glen Helen and he was just in too much pain. And we, you know, he, he was desperate to ride because he really wanted that. that he was 100% committed to get to the US eventually, anyway. Yeah. And did. Um, but we sort of just went, look, you, you make yourself look like an idiot rolling around here in 20th place. It's not, if, and if you can't perform at your A game. So we, we bailed out. But, um, and then I come back home and then, you know, we did our thing. Then Dan went over in 08 did his thing and then I went over and at the end of 08 um, yeah it was um, it was it was really good in some like the work was unreal loved it and I, being a 
I, I thought all those guys would be like really, really knowledgeable. It was completely different. So all those guys over there have a specific job. That's it. They don't uh-huh. want to know and don't need to know anything else. Uh, where I was sort of, the, you know, from in Australia, you're doing suspension motors, putting tyres and driving the truck to the race, everything. setting the awning up, coming back, doing the magazine story on the way home. It's just like you've got to do everything. So that was kind of weird. Um, but I got to do some – we had some issues which, which Geico had for years, which was a flooding issue, and then we um, ended up with a transmission issue when they first released that 450 in 2009. And I come up with a solution. So I designed an anti-flooding system for that FCR carb that fixed those bikes with that because that's why every time they fell over, they couldn't start the thing, so they'd flood themselves stupid. So they had an issue between that and the decomp timing on the exhaust cam. Um, that was really cool and it sort of right. elevated me like straight away. So they, you know, I wasn't just a normal guy putting stickers and motors into the outer chassis. You, know, you were somebody special and they did eventually offer me a position at the end of the which was hard to come back from. Um, they offered me to be the R&D guy for HRC. Yeah, and I come home for somebody else, but that's a whole other story. But um, it was it was a lot of work. I had a lot of pressure on myself. Um, the there was I only took over X amount of money, so I took over five grand. Yeah. It was when the dollar the ass fell out of that, and it was sixty two cents or something. So my five grand vaporized to about two and a half grand by the time I got there. Um, and I was over there, how it works is if you don't have a, uh, you need your visa to get your social security number, you need your social security number to get your um, pay. They won't pay otherwise. Wow. So I got over there, there was a muck up with my visa and everything from the guy that was organizing it here. And it took three months before I could get um, paid. And I didn't want to take any money from my partner at the time here, so I just kept, I was, I was living on nothing, living on 49 cent burritos from Taco Bell, yeah. working astronomical hours. I remember Kibby saying, he goes, man, we don't want you to burn out because I was there, same thing, had the same mentality. I was there before anybody else turned up. I was the last one to leave every single day. Yep. Um, you know, sorted out a lot of the stuff with dance, bikes, and, you know, I, I, I think I did some cool stuff over there. Some, um, but it was just tough. It was tough. I guess if you've never done it, you kind of can't explain it. But you sort of forget it's a different lifestyle over there. You lose contact of everybody, every all the little things that you had to, to keep you going here. Yeah. Um, your little support system breaks apart. Um, like I said, I had heaps of pressure on me. Like Dan's results weren't great. He was doing – he was uh, – I think the priorities maybe sort of shifted a little bit and he didn't really want to be on that 250 and yeah. it was a bit of burnout. I actually seen the interview that you did together. He talks about burnout happened in the 2012. It happened way before that. Really? Yeah, 100%. He might want me to say it but he was um, he, he was working really hard and, and you can only do that for sort of so long and he was riding in the US then coming back here and doing the Australian series and it was just go, 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 go. Um, but give credit where credit's due, and this is why I will always have the utmost respect for Daniel Ridden, is I remember him doing the Supercross series here in 2008. I said to his father at the time, because it was kind of like a tune-up game, you know, yep. he'd had his head beaten in over there. His, his confidence was pretty low. I said, you can have two things happen here. He can come out and he can brain these guys and pump himself back up again because confidence is so important in this sport. Yep. Or he could get his ass handed to him and go back like a wounded dog. Sure as shit, 
doesn't the results don't come, look terrible on the bike, went back a beaten man. Anyway, that's when we started. We put something together and I went over there with him. And to take a guy with who's who's broken like that, yeah. to have him, I think he led or might have won the the heat race at A one and was leading the main. That the work ethic that that took in took to do that is second to none. Yep. That's why I have respect for him, because it, it takes a lot to take a guy from rock bottom to to that level, you know. And and we he come out and he did all right there, and then he um, got a bit pumped up or whatever happened. He fell over and couldn't start that bloody bike. I remember Ziggy saying to me, he goes, "You make sure you ride that bike off the track." And there was a real technique of starting those things when they were flooded. You had to have everything perfect and hold your tongue right and then you could get him to go and I start Dan kicked it until he'd run out of time Yeah, he had steam coming off him he was you know and that was a hard one because he built himself up to the point where we were you know he could have finished third that night it would have been unreal mm. unreal would have been a really good place to come from compared to where he was um, and that was a hard one and, and he had a fair few of those through the year I still watched that championship you know two nights ago Yeah, still watch it and uh, it definitely, it definitely was a hard, hard one for him. Um, but like I say, I still respect him uh, to come from where he come from, for sure. I, I said it to Dan at the time, and I, I feel he doesn't get the props he deserves sometimes. You know, he's uh, he's he's very intelli- intelligent, um, and just I don't know, like every every dealing. And I said it to him. I'll say it to everyone. He's just fantastic to deal with and what he's done for Australian motocross and supercross has been huge so but sometimes it just gets a little forgotten or pushed away to the side sometimes oh, I feel there's, there's so many parts of the sport things that happen behind the scenes that people got no idea about um, you know and to be like I was saying before to be any of these special athletes that are right at the front that, that's a kind of pretty special person yep. not everybody's going to do it that's why they're on the big bucks well, they were <laughs> um, yeah I don't know. It's um, God, we had some funny times. He used to come into the workshops. I'd be working when when it got moved up here. So that's when Brett Whale was running it. So it was out of up up the road, wasn't it? Springwood. Yeah, yeah just yep. up just here. Yep. So I'd be working weekends, or whatever. I was always in there doing something. So Dan would try sneaking and scare me. So he'd sneak, and I'd just hear. I'd sense he was there, and I'd turn around. And he'd freeze, but he's in plain sight. But he'd just freeze, like I couldn't see him, like a chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> God, it was funny. Damn, what are you doing? But uh, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely tough in the US. There was a lot of work, a lot of hours, heaps of testing. Yep. Uh, they leave us for dead. We're, we're doing nothing here compared to what happens over there. And big testing. You can do frames all day. You know, in between motos, you can be pulling. One day when we're having those transmission issues on that bloody four fifty, we went to. So it started early in the morning. We go to Glen Helen. The thing starts to. Um, Miss shift by the end of the day, so I finished. We finished the test. I go back to the Geico workshop, pull the motor, split it, put a new training in, um, put it all back together, leave there, get back home at one o'clock in the morning, back to the track at six the next morning. So you've tested and you've done a full transmission change all in a day. Yeah, back ready to go. Yeah, the next day and you do it over and over again till you till you work out what's wrong with it. And I end up coming up with a fix for that bloody thing as well. So they used to just put works trainees in, which was a five thousand dollar transmission that was made out of unitanium that could never break but the there had to be a reason i thought of why the production one never used to have problems and now it all of a sudden has problems so anyway you figure that out and sorted that out over there so that was good was the 2009 the one that had the bigger the big guard 
that was the CRF, wasn't it? Yeah, so the first of the new shape, 450. New shape, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. started with the round at the back. Yeah, so yeah. the 250 was the last of the old shape and then yep. the 450 was the um, the first of the new shape. And everybody hated them then. It was like, oh, they've wrecked this bike because they finished with such a good bike. That, that 08, 08 yeah. oh, everybody talked about that 08, which yep. was kind of what the 06 KXF 450 was. Wow. Pretty close. Yeah. No, nobody knows. There was actually another KXF 450. People don't even know about it. What do you mean? So their the original bike that they had had a twin spar frame, sort of mm. like a um, like the uh, early model was it F450. Yeah, it was like that. Really? They could, couldn't get it to work. Yeah, they tried and tried and tried. So we had a poster, which I wish I had kept. We had a poster at um, KHI in Sydney where I worked um, of the pre-production bike of the Japanese test rider using it. And they oh. tried and tried and tried and tried and they couldn't get it to a point where it was good enough to bring out in a production form. Wow. So they just apparently which I could nearly believe it, just copied the Honda frame. And when you look at the Honda frame versus that Cowie frame, it had the same, you know, marks in the alloy, had the same extruded, welded parts, it had the same marks, wow. everything was the same. So is a rush, like as such, like to try and get that to market would, would have been a pretty quick turnaround. I guess they probably, what's the best bike out here at the moment? Well, the 08 KX, uh, CRF450 is, just yep. copy that bloody thing. Get that. Yeah. The motor, the motor in those early KX 450s was a killer too, eh? Yeah, it was good. It was a good motor. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they made that motor for years. It was um, that's gone right through to pretty pretty current sort of thing. Like I said, they had a few issues with the first one with the um, the rod and yep. Uh, that was another thing. Yeah, we had um, to keep that bike running. Well, I had no DNFs. That's always what I tried to make sure that you had no damn problems. I didn't want to be the one that let yep. the team down. So that we we worked out worldwide. They'd never had a crank break after I think seven hours or under 16 hours or something. So every crank that was in Dan's bike was always within those hours. So we'd run one on a practice bike, I'd pull it out of that motor, they'd go on a race motor, we'd run that for the race season, pull it out, go back on a practice bike 50 hours and it goes in the bin. Wow. So there was heaps of, that's what I mean, there's heaps of work going on to make sure that you don't um, have any failures. Coming from, from a small town, small town workshop, um, does it blow you away the parts that get chucked away when you go into a factory environment? I love your questions. So Australia is run like on a shoestring budget compared to the US. The US, man, yeah. we could run the best race team that Australia's ever seen with the shit that we used to throw in the bin. Wow. So when you wheel that, that Geico bike come off the track and when it's there, when you start there, it's new, so everything's brand new, all the plastics come off. Some guys would remove the bars, even if the guy didn't fall off. So the twin wall bars were sponsored with by then. They go to the crowd, the plastic go to the crowd, the chain comes off, goes in the bin. Um, guys, would, oh, I'm still wearing till today Kevin Windham gloves because wow. they got wet at one race and he threw them in the bin. And I'm like, like a homeless guy. I'm like, they're brand new. Oh, no, no, don't worry about it. And I, I'm still wearing them. They got yep. holes in them. But. Um, astronomical the amount of parts and everything that you go through so because everything's got a very uh, window that you have to run it in frames only up to x amount of hours practice bikes only do 10 hours and you have to build them again wow. um, so you got to keep everything pretty it's by the book isn't it like it's yep. yeah there's yep. a strict over there because it's the money and everything the stakes are a lot higher yep. there's way more pressure mm. so you have to do this is the rules everybody's bikes are built exactly the same Everybody's got bolts in the exact same place. Yep. Um, it's all coordinated, so everybody's bike is the same. Yep. Um, you log all the hours, only they had to do this much, and then that's it. And there was new parts like that cover everything I come up with. Uh, there was a rule of 10 hours testing, so I had to be tested for 10 hours before it would go onto a race bike. Mm -hmm. 
So we tested, tested, it was all good. We stuck it on, Trey Cartwell's his brains out in one of the races, picks the bike up, and and everybody was like this with the head the headsets. And uh, Trey stands it up, kicks it first kick, started. I was like, I am the smartest man alive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It, so, that was that was a career cut short, which was a shame, hey, Trey Kennard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's a good dude, you know. Yeah. Um, I seen the other day they're talking, so Emig and um, Carmichael are talking about um, changes within the AMA and they're talking about having a guy with race experience like the moving over. And they kept mentioning Trey's name. For, that'd be a good that'd position. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Great to see him. He's too good just to go back to the farm and, you know, sit on the tractor or whatever he's going to do. Yeah. Um, now he's doing the test riding for uh, for Honda and everything, which is really important to have a guy because some guys are really good testers. That's where Shorty was renowned for a good tester. Yep. Um, so some guys, Daniel at the start didn't know anything, but he wanted he was hungry for information, so he eventually knew what he wanted, how to get there, because it's only going to help their their results anyway. Um, some guys don't know, don't want to know. Yeah, just leave it. Is that that'd be one of the most um, important parts to a team too, wouldn't it? testing like test a, a good test rider um no nah, there's heaps of important parts to a team yeah. a really good team there's the success and that's why when you see riders thank everybody it's for good reason yeah uh, it's it's every part of the team so you've got to have sure. good management uh good logistics uh, good machinery parts um a really good vibe within the team is very very important mm. um they, they always talk about that now with the star guys they talk about that a lot with the um kato team everybody helps each other um that was one thing that blew me away with geico like that there's a wheel sitting there with a ball tire on uh, that's that's such a such tire wheel just put a tire on it so we can use it or somebody you know yeah. In Australia, it's every every man's helping the team. Over there, it was every man for themselves. Wow. And, and, and it did change. It was only like that for a little while. Then LaRocco come in. Um, he's an awesome dude as well. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 Always looked up to him as a rider and uh, loved working with him. He was wow. awesome. Do you, do you ever listen to that Whiskey Throttle show? Yeah, yeah. Did you listen to the one with him on it? No, not yet. It was awesome. Just as a guy, he just uh, same deal, just work ethic. You know, yeah. he just—he was a worker, and it's cool to listen to him talk about it. You know, so yeah. Well, there's no a lot of respect. Motocross is kind of cool, but you can't hide when you're out on the bike. You can't hide. Yep, that's it. If Keep you're not front. putting the walk in, it's going to show. Yep. Yeah, he's 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 done it all. What's been a really good day in racing life, either on the spinners or behind the bars? What What's been a really good day for you? Oh, two complete things. Like my career's nothing as a rider, really nowhere. Um, um, I enjoy doing the test riding and stuff. I enjoy doing the test ride in the US. So I was yeah. doing the pre-testing for the um, once they work at once they worked out that I could actually ride a bike. So I used to ride with um, Big B, who was um, Trey's mechanic, the big guy. Right. He, he's a good rider. Yeah. Um, and Kalma, so he was a Wyndham's, Wyndham's mechanic. So we got to go to the track, and I always wanted to be the fastest guy, of course. So um, once they worked out that I could ride, I'd do the pre-testing. So what happened with some parts, say Vortex Ignition would come over and they'd have 20 different maps. But So instead of going to the track and testing 20 maps with, with Wyndham and Dan, yeah. uh, they'd send me there. I'd test and I'd go, look, these four work really good. This one's the best one. And ironically, there's, they're the ones that we end up running. You know, that was the one that Wyndham and Dan ran. Yeah. So I'd sort of do all the pre-testing. I'd test some suspension stuff or ignition stuff or whatever, whatever they wanted me to do. Um, so that was kind of really cool. I really did enjoy that. That was because uh, you got the mechanical side, the ride skill side, whatever. You can sort of give them the right 
information, so they're yep. going for months on end in the wrong bloody direction. Um, but as a mechanic, I don't know. Um, there's heap, there's heaps of stuff. Winning winning the championship with um, with Dan was cool. Yeah, that was a that was a good one. The amount of work we put in. Um, we were the underdogs. The Cowie team was sort of a team that nobody wanted to be a part of up to that stage. It had a bad rep, and we uh-huh. turned it around to, to be number number one team. When I got there, mate, there was doors hanging off the hinges of the truck, and it was the same thing. Needed a bit of a tune up, and the work that goes in. Like I said, it's not just you're not just doing bikes. The ho- you put the whole team together. Yeah. And I was just lucky, like I said, to have a good, you know, to be paired with another. Equally as good people, yeah. you know Kenny and Ross and everyone. We were all on the same page. Um, yeah, so like winning, winning stuff like that was good. What you said at the start about the believe the hype board, that um, at that time, remember the hype that was around. Like it, 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 it was huge. Like when that t- that title and that was one at that time. Hey, around that era, For, like Dan Reed and. I don't know. Put Kawasaki on the map again here. Yeah, yeah. Heavily, like I said, we we turned the team from a, a joke, yeah. from an absolute joke to really um comes back around from what you said. Yeah, yeah. And no disrespect to the guys in the past. You know, there's um you have to talk to Roscoe about the problems with management and everything. It was just a mess. It was a mess. Wow. And as a mechanic, you know, I never seen those sorts of those sorts of things and that side of it. You know, I had my little goggles on and I was doing my thing yep. and I knew what I needed to get my damn job done the way I needed it done and that was it. There was There's all this other stuff on the side all the time and anybody that's been in it, you know, at every level, at a high level, will understand that it comes from the top, you know. But, um, yeah, we come in there swinging, come out come out with the, uh, with the championship. Would have won, um, probably would have won both championships that year, I think. Hody had it in the bag. Yeah, he hurt himself at um, where did he hurt himself? A hay bale flicked out and he broke his because they had sort of supercross, their motocross and supercross. It was mm. real weird or something. Something weird went on. Yeah, he crashed at uh, Toowoomba, I think. Yeah, hurt himself and then they mucked up with the. Um, I was talking with Ross this the other day because everybody remembers the different side of the story, you know. Yeah. So apparently they put a plate in to his arm, whatever, and then the plate bent and yeah, it was a nightmare. He had he had a horrid run. Same thing, an injury. Yeah, know, keeps the guy down. Yeah, it's the hardest. One of the hardest parts of the sport is as an athlete, isn't it? Just trying to keep those injuries at bay. Yeah, some guys are lucky. Dan was one of the lucky ones. He never had a lot of injuries. You know, they come sort of later with him. Mm. Um, some guys, you know, I used to crush every time but he got on the bike. So yeah, everybody's different. So what else is next? You're doing your own, obviously your own stuff now out of um, out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I just do my own thing now. Yep. That's about it. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. I've had a lot of success. I've, I was just thinking the other day. Actually, it's been over ten years. I've been working for myself. I couldn't wow. believe it. Should have had a party or something. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, just I, I started. So when I got back from the back from the US, it was all a bit of a nightmare in my personal life and everything, which was the reason why I come back. But it all um, it all turned to shit in a big way. So I. Um, I did some work just for the mate's earth moving thing and then that was just not me. And then I just sort of sprouted the business up out of yep. a little um, like a builder's trailer or something. I went down and bought it and stuck some stickers on it and then, wow. you know, people just wanted me here, there and everywhere and, yeah, grew it up 
you know, from sort of the nothing. And, I, and I'm not a businessman. I'm still not. You know, I'm learning every day and that's a whole different side of running your own business. Um, I'm good on the tools. You know, that's probably where I should have stayed. But, um, yeah, I'm doing my thing now. It's just getting busier and busier all the time. I'm looking at branching out now and doing some other stuff. Wow. Um, we'll know about that soon enough. But, I've, yeah, it's, it's going all right. Awesome. Met some cool people. Had some good results, you know, with Corey last year and a lot of uh, – got some really good up-and-coming juniors and won a lot of championships, you know, between then, then and now. But I've been part of it anyway with the suspension side of things. It's, it's – um, yeah, the, the Corey stuff, like that's – that's um that's incredible in its own right as well, hey. That was a lot learning how to um, do suspension again. Was that the really? quarter pipe? The oh. quarter pipe. Because what would happen? I'm I'm guessing. I'm just saying this, this camera is about to go out, so sorry to everyone watching this part particular part. That 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 must just blow everything through the suspension at that time when they land. I'm guessing. Man, I went out to his compound out there near um, Bow Desert. So he wanted me to come out and watch him, and I, it was the only time I went out. Man, scary. You know when you nearly go over the bars and you get that big rush of adrenaline and it makes all your hair stand up. That's what I got watching him. Oh. Couldn't believe it. So he goes up the ramp, launches this thing, lands, broke his foot peg off, laughs about that. But just the the impact of when he lands on the ground is really because he's coming from us really really high, and the ramp, the down ramp he got there out there probably wasn't steep enough. He couldn't make it steep enough because the dirt kept falling away. So he landed like really hard, but. Um, how I did that one, you can't just just think up a setting in your sleep. It just doesn't work like that. And you can't just jump too far. I've seen people do it in the past with supercross suspension. They jump too far. Then you develop braking issues. It'll break posts off the compression stack. It'll break wow. cartridges. It'll blow cartridges up. You'll bend shock shafts. Um, and I never want to go down that path. I've seen other people do it. It's a big no-no. So you sort of just keep you put something in. And that, that's, that's why we went and did so much testing. And Corey was pretty good. They'd go out there and he just has to go out and they'd play with some stuff and then they'd relay it back to me. And the thing with Corey was because he was um, – there's another one you can see. He's, it's not that he's pushy. He's just really determined and I like to see that. That's a guy that wants to make it happen. That, that's when If you don't know what you're looking at, it just looks like they're being a prick. It's, it's, and he never was. He was the most professional guy, one of the best dudes I've ever worked with, period. Unreal. Um, really determined though. He was the same thing. They, they weren't going to beat him that year, you know. He was so determined to win. But every time he'd go a metre higher, we'd have to change the setting because wow. it just changed the pressure the bike would land under so much. So it was just going every time and every time he'd come back, he'd go, oh, yeah, I'm going higher now, I need this, this. So we'd push it and push it and push it and push it. It just kept going. It never actually stopped. We 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 were still testing when he come and talked to me about um, – his, his new path with Raceline. Wow. And that's that's sort of where it ended. It ended when he when he jumped on a different bike. Does, like, is it heavier springs or is it all, like... We, we run the heaviest fork spring you could buy, the heaviest shock spring you could buy. Really? Um, valve, like, insane, and then some other mods in there to make sure you don't over-hydraulic um, the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, he had Ross do this cylinder. Uh, he had a Vortex programmed by someone that he knew like just because i thought how hard could it be honestly but up this thing but as much power as you can possibly get out of the bike um really really firm suspension yeah it can't be too firm otherwise it gives him too much of a jolt when he lands it and it's too hard he can only do x amount of jumps so yeah. you sort of got a yeah it was tricky that was a tricky wow. one that's a um yeah like because 
you just don't know what what it does. Like it's so such a new thing still. You know, you look at it from from an outside. You're like, what, what what's actually going on there? You know. Well, so. that's what. Like I'd never done it before. Yeah. So for me, it was like all oh, good and well. You can stick a supercross setting in there, maybe, maybe that's somewhere to go. But the setting was nothing like a supercross setting. Yeah. It had the rebound closer to a, a motocrossy setting, and it had the compression of its own animal. Wow. Because they, they want it really lively, so the pop off the lips really important, mm-hmm. and you gain you get that by a lot of different techniques. Yep. Um, with with tuning. So it was pretty. Pretty unique to get the feel that he wanted. Yeah, it's huge. He's um, yeah, he's work. His same deal, work ethic. You know, he's got such a focus on what he wants to do there. It's 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 awesome. That's why it's good to see it. It's good it to is. be part of a guy like that, and especially when you get the results, it's like the icing on the cake. Yep. But it's to no surprise. When he won, it was like, it was awesome, but it was not not really a surprise to me. I, I knew he, he was going over there to to sort of get the job done. Yep. Um. It's cool to see guys like that. That's why, like going back, I think we spoke about it earlier. Was the guys like Merriam and Watsy? God, pick them, pick any of them, Dan and any of the guys that that have been champions. They got that other, yeah, that other switch in there where they're just gonna win, no matter what. They're gonna make it happen. Tell me this last question: When someone talks about like a factory suspension that Kenny be on or something like that. How, you've obviously worked on both sides and all sides of the spectrum. How different is it? Another great question. So with Geico, they have um, access to anything you want. So right. here we use production suspension and I was lucky enough to, you know, when they tested all our bikes, we were better than everybody anyway on the production stuff, just tune right. So that was that was probably one of my proudest moments actually mm. when they did that stroke test back in 06. We, we killed him and that was really good for Daniel's confidence because he knew he was on the best bike. Yeah. Um, so the US, they got access to anything and everything. And this people will love this story. So they, their lights bikes are using A-kit shower. Um they're open bikes, so there's only a couple of sets of work suspension. So Stuart was on it, Chad would run it, and Wyndham had it. So that's the one with like the off-color, like a off-color white top tube sort of thing. Really, really, really trick. It's got like uh, bearings on the top and bottom of the springs to get rid of the tension out of the spring, wow. and all sorts of stuff. Really trick. Anyway, um, we uh, were. Barsha had just come from the amateur, so an amateur bike over there is pretty much just a stock bike do the standard suspension, um, throw a pipe on a bit of engine work, that's an amateur bike. So he's come over to Geico, that was the first year in 09, and he goes, I can't ride this bike, man, it's so rigid, so stiff, so stiff, so stiff. So full credit to Ziggy. Ziggy's not one of those guys, and this is where a lot of suspension guys get into problems where it's my way or no way. Ziggy's a very open-minded guy. Um, so he's like, oh, righto. So we actually ended up going back to uh, testing the production suspension. So those um, those Hondas in uh, 2010, I think it was, that Trey won the championship on, mm-hmm. production suspension. Yeah. Wyndham and that 09 Sarah 450 for the first half of the championship, production fork and shock. He had access to stuff that people could only dream about touching, let alone riding on. Yeah. And he liked the feel of the production KYB fork and shock. And the, um, the Shoah one in 2010 was pretty much a copy of the Triple S KYB, really, really nice production suspension. Just coated legs, um, anodized lowers, yeah. 
tuned, you know, revalved by factory connection yep. that knows what they're doing. And you got a bike that wins championships. It's so crazy. We mm. tested with Brett Metcalf one day at Parlour. So we used a God, what do we have in his bike? Forty I think they were forty nine mil, forty nine mil kit fork in one side and a production forty seven in the other side. Mm. The, the mix we called it, loved it. Really? We couldn't run it because you'd look like idiots rolling yeah. up to the line. But it, it got everybody it got everybody thinking we're too rigid, we need to get some flex back in the bike and they changed components and that's that's yeah. where they went down that path. And they're not too proud to roll to the line with a championship on the line uh, with with production fork and shocking when they've got the kit suspension by the truckloads sitting back at the workshop. Wow. People that's... just don't don't understand that and they wouldn't believe you. But I've been there. I've been in the dyno rooms. I know what the bikes make. I've been – I've built the, the race engines and the, the pracky yeah. engines and, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Because so the, the bikes um, – the, the motor now is – so strong anyway, hey? Yeah, motors now, a f- product, you can pull a bike out of a box now that makes more power than a factory bike did 10 years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, mate, we've, we've done we've done a fair bit of time. I appreciate it so much. When when Ben and Toby and I were sitting at dinner uh, the other week talking about it and we uh, at first came up, we are talking about a linkage on, I'm building a 96 250 up myself and we were talking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd love to have you on so... Mate, I really appreciate these few hours. It's been awesome, mate. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being on there. Like, I haven't done one of these for, for a long time. Back in the day, I used to do a bit of this sort of stuff and it was natural, but now I've, you know, I've been yeah. out of the game for, for a bit doing my own thing, but I really appreciate the opportunity. So-